The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. But I wanted to start this morning. A number of years ago, I was training with a canine unit as a chaplain. And I really enjoyed the canine unit because I just love dogs. And, and so I was riding along with a couple of guys one night, and uh, they decided they were going to have a little training event. And so, because I'm the chaplain, I'm always a guinea pig. So uh, they put a sleeve on me, and uh, the, the drill was is that they were going to stand 100 yards away from me, and they were going to send this 120-pound dog as fast as they could run at me, and I was supposed to put my arm out and brace myself. And, uh, but the deal was is they were to call the dog off about 10 feet before they got to me. But I had known from the past that there was a couple of dogs that would take some cheap shots. You know, they wouldn't quite, you know, they they wouldn't quite obey their their handler. And so they would maybe come under the arm and grab you by the rib cage. And I was a little nervous. I got to be honest with you. And so uh, he turned the dog loose, and I was just ready for to get knocked over like a football player. But anyways, he calls the dog off 10 feet in front of me. And by golly, that dog made a U-turn and came right back to the handler. And I was breathing a sigh of relief. But well, you know, what's interesting about that is that uh, God is all, oftentimes reflected as the hound of heaven. And uh, God may be dogging you today, okay, about something. Um, one of the other things that we do with training with the canine unit is I would also go out and I would, we would get into a large building somewhere and I would go hide. And then they would turn the dog loose to see if they could find me. And that was kind of interesting, and there were lots of different crazy places that I would hide. I remember this one building we were inside. It was an old warehouse, and it was probably about 120 degrees in there. And so I decided the best way to hide was to climb this ladder. And so I'm up in the attic, and I'm just sweating drops of blood. I'm telling you, it was so hot in there. And this dog was taking forever, but the dog found me. And no matter where I went, the dog always found me. That's a little bit like of what God does in our own lives. Sometimes God is called the hound of heaven, and sometimes he just leaves us to our own devices until we cry uncle like the prodigal son. But this morning we're going to look at a guy who was running from God, and maybe you're running from God this morning. Let me ask you some questions before I start. Have you ever been in a position in your life where you sensed God was trying to tell you something and you were too close-minded or too busy to listen? Does that sound familiar with any of you? Has God been bugging you about something that needs to change in your life and you keep resisting and putting it off? Or maybe you knew there was something that God definitely wanted you to do and you decided to just rebel and go the opposite direction. Well, that's exactly what Jonah did. We're going to look at the book of Jonah this week and next week. So you're stuck with me next week. So you got to come back and get the second half of this. But I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter one, because here's a guy who decided that it was best to run from God. And maybe some of you this morning are in that same boat. No pun intended. Okay. Verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, God tells Jonah the prophet, a Hebrew prophet, to go into this pagan society called Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria at that particular time. Nineveh was a great city. It was probably a city actually of about 500,000. It was probably about the size of Tucson. And he was to go into that city as a Hebrew. And the problem was is the Assyrians were terrorists, if you will. 
and they had been killing and murdering and raping and, and sacrificing all of the Hebrew people over a period of years. And now God was telling this prophet, I want you to go in there and tell them to repent because if they don't, I'm going to blow this city away. And Jonah didn't want to do that. And so in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know what's fascinating here? He runs because he hated the Assyrians. And he was afraid that God was going to do something miraculous in that city to turn it around. And he didn't want that to happen. And the reason, again, why he didn't want it to happen is because they were his enemy. And also that he was a little biased because he thought, well, maybe God was only reserving his grace and love for just the Hebrew people. And so consequently, Jonah was resisting what God had called him to do. And so he jumps on this boat and he runs. And the second principle I want you to see here is that sometimes we run from God because our own biases and experience gets in the way of God's plan. I remember back in the 60s as I was growing up in high school and I was going to church, I, I, I saw the church as simply totally irrelevant. It was an institution. And it's kind of come full circle again today with our young people. And, and I thought, you know what? There's no way I would ever be a pastor in a church. And, and because of all of that bias and prejudice, it, it, I resisted sometimes that, that hugging, that call from God to do that. And yet God finally called me back in 1981 to come and serve, serve Christ full time in the local church. But I resisted it for quite a long time because I just didn't see the relevance. And sometimes you may be resisting God because there's some past experience that you've had or, or some baggage that you're carrying that you're just saying, no way, God, I'm not going there because I've been there and I know what it looks like. And so this was the problem with Jonah. His bias, his prejudice against the people and towards his own people was so prevalent in his life that he was running from God. But I want you to notice what's interesting here. But Jonah runs away and he finds a ship that's going the opposite direction. Now, what's fascinating about this, circumstantially, it looked like a real great opportunity for him. And it looked like things were kind of going his way. Now, think about this. He's running from God. He said, you know, where can I go? Well, I need to run the opposite direction. And, oh, by the way, there's a ship. It happens to be going the opposite direction. Well, what do you know about that? And, and, and I've got just enough money to pay the fare to get on this boat. What do you know about that? And so I want to share with you here that circumstances are not always a reliable means of God's leading. You see, he was looking at the circumstances through the lens of his own biases and his own prejudices and his own flesh. And because of that, he was following circumstances that were not godly at all, and yet they looked like the logical thing to do. Anybody been there? Where you think, you know, I really don't want to do that, Lord, but there's this opportunity over here. I think I'm going to grab that because it looks a little more convenient. It looks like a, a simpler path. It seems like it's an easier out for me. And so I'm going to do that. Is that okay? Oh, oh, and the circumstances are perfect. I can do... Wait a minute. I remember when I was working as a janitor in Scottsdale Bible Church many, many years ago when I moved here from, uh, from, from Wisconsin and I was starting the church down in Phoenix and, and, and it was really a kind of a hard time for us just to make it financially. I was working five part-time jobs, and Lynn, my wife, was babysitting up to nine kids in order for us to put food on the table. 
And I remember one day, Pastor Darrell called me into his office and he said, hey, would you like a full-time job working for our church? He said, you know, you could be the youth pastor and then in a few years you could plant a church for us. And boy, I had to think about that for a minute. I thought, you know, that sounds like a real easy out for me right now because right now life is really, really tough. Now, if I would have read those circumstances, it looked like the convenient way to go. It looked like the opportunity of a lifetime to go to this mega church and be involved in their ministry. But I had to go back and say, what did God call me to do? And God called me to plant a church. And so I said, no thanks. Those circumstances would have really been alluring to me if I had not listened to God's call in my life. And so if I had read those circumstances as God leading, I would have missed an opportunity to see God do a mighty work in a local church. Circumstances are not always reliable. Be careful. When you're out there thinking that you're doing the right thing, circumstances are not always what they're cracked up to be. Yes, they can be indicators of God's will for your life, but on the other hand, you need to be careful that that's not the only thing that you're reading when you're looking for God to lead you. Well, what happens? Most of you know. It's a familiar story to many of you, but look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Fascinating, right? Guy's running from God, and he's sleeping in the poop deck, okay? The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and he will not, we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. You see, these guys were, were pagan worshipers and, and they believed that somehow the gods were angry with them and it must be somebody's fault. And so they were trying to figure out who it was on the boat that was causing all the problem. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country and from what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. Isn't that interesting? It's like he gets on the boat. Hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm running from the Lord. So how many people would really admit that? He knew exactly what he was doing. The, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down to us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Well, instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wider, wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord. Now, they're crying to the Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that interesting? Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. That's another fascinating piece. Here, here's a guy who's in total rebellion to God. He's running from the Lord, and yet God used even his running to really touch the lives of these other men. So the sea calms down. 
What's really interesting here is this fourth principle that I see in this passage is this. When we are rebelling against God's will, he often finds a way to get our attention. And perhaps that's you in your life right now. Maybe God has sent a storm in your life. It might be an illness. It might be a relationship problem. It might be a financial issue. It might be a job situation. I don't know what the storm is that maybe you're facing, but perhaps maybe God has orchestrated that to get your attention, to intervene in your life, to say, hey, wake up. What are you doing? Are you running? What's the issue? Now, sometimes he just kind of lets us go like the prodigal, if you remember. Instead of intervening with the prodigal, he just lets him go and he finds himself in a pigsty one day and comes to the end of himself. And maybe that's where you're at this morning as well. But in this particular case, God decides to intervene and cause this storm in Jonah's life to get his attention. And perhaps that's what's going on in your life today. That storm, God is whispering in your ear saying, hey, wake up, you're running. So when we're rebelling against God, he will often find ways to get our attention. But what's interesting here is the fifth principle that I see is that when we are running from God, there can be a serious problem with collateral damage. I mean, look at these guys. I mean, they they were just along and they were just sailors one day and some clown ends up on their ship and the storm comes because of one guy's rebellion. They're the ones that are victims in this relationship. And sometimes it's fascinating to me when, we, when I see people running. They're very narcissistic. They're, they're more about themselves. And they don't realize that what they're doing has a catastrophic effect to other people's lives. I was just in a counseling situation this past week. And I was talking to this couple who were about ready to get a divorce. And I, I said to them, I said, do you realize what you're doing to your kids? And the one person said, No, nothing's problem. My kids are fine. I've raised my kids. They're doing well. They'll handle this. No problem. I said, really? I said, well, I have an idea. Let's bring your three kids into the office next week and have them talk about how they feel about your divorce and see what you think. She said, no way. No way. And I heard this one person say, you know, this is about me. This is about my own survival. I'm thinking, wait a minute, time out. Do you realize you are affecting three kids' lives when you walk away like this? Are you kidding me? You think this is all about you, and that's what happens when we're running from God. It seems to be it's all about me. It's all about my life. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I want to do. There's collateral damage here. The fascinating thing is that God redeemed that particular collateral damage by these men actually making vows. But for a moment there, these guys are in crisis because of his rebellion, Jonah's rebellion. So don't think that you're just, oh, I'm just only hurting myself. It's all about me. That's nonsense. It's getting quiet in here. Okay. Let's look at chapter or verse 17, and see what happens, as you know. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, you know, scientists have argued about this and all of that, but reality is we have to take the word as it, as it is written, because if we don't take God's word in, all, in entirety, we're, we're really in trouble. So we're going to believe that this actually happened, and it did. And so Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, I don't know about you, but this constitutes what I would call a foxhole prayer. 
I mean, this guy was stuck in the belly of a great fish. We believe it was a whale. We don't know for sure, but at least he was in the belly of a great fish. And by golly, I think God had his attention, okay? And some of you may feel like that this morning. Perhaps this is your belly of the whale, and God is getting your attention through this message. And so here's what he says, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prays. Now, I, you know, I, can, I don't know how this works, but if I'm inside the belly of a fish, you know, this whole thing just freaks me out here. I mean, this guy's praying inside the belly of a fish. And he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I can imagine what that looked like when he was thrown up. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared, uh, barred, me in for, barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord. My God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. And I want to stop right there because this is really a fascinating little piece. You see, the, the Hebrew people felt like that God was really dwelling in the temple. And, and we're kind of like that today in our society. Oh, I, I, I'm afraid to go to church because God might be there. You know what I mean? And so, so God's in the church and he's in the temple. And the Hebrew people kind of felt like that's where God sort of dwelt. And so I could literally run from God because he's over here in the temple and I'm over here, you know, out here doing my thing. And as long as I stay away from the temple, I'm in good shape because God doesn't know what's going on in my life. That's the implication of this particular passage. But don't we kind of operate the same way? We, we somehow think that, you know, I, I can just kind of do stuff in my life and God doesn't really care. God's not really involved. God's not, God not, you know, he doesn't know what's going on in my life. And yet Psalm 139 tells us that we can't go anywhere without him. If I go to the highest heavens, he says, I'm there. If I'm going to the deepest part of hell, he's there. I can't run far enough, fast enough, long enough, high enough, or far enough to get away from our Lord. Amen. He's the hound of heaven. He's dogging you. And for some of you this morning, he's dogging you. And you've been resisting, you've been running from God on some issues in your life for a long time. And this morning, he wants you to face and find redemption in your own life and finding salvation in your own life. And it's in your distress where sometimes you have to call out to the Lord. And that's where God had Jonah kind of flat on his back, if you will, looking up and saying, help. I can't do this anymore. And so in verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. So he's saying, okay, I give up. You know, I, you asked me to go to Nineveh, I'll do it. I promise, I'll take care of it. I'll follow through now. I'm changed. You, you, you've touched my life. You've saved me. We know that the next step is he got regurgitated, right? And next week, we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4, and you're going to see an incredible, interesting dynamic in his life, but also seeing how God has a great God of compassion. 
And so what I want to share with you this morning, that salvation comes from the Lord. That's what he was really saying. He said, God, you're the one that's going to save me. You're the one that's running the show. And if I come to you, you're going to have that redemptive power to fix my life. And for some of you this morning, you've been running from God for years. I remember a guy named Jack in our church. Guy was 85 years old before he gave his life to Christ. And I talked to him many, many times. And over those years, I kept saying, Jack, when are you going to accept Christ? Oh, I will someday. I will someday. And he finally came into my office, and some of you heard that story before, and he accepted Christ at 85 years old, and he died a few months later. But the point is, God was hounding him for all those years. And for some of you, you've never received Jesus Christ into your life because you've been running from God, and you don't want to admit it. You want to do it your own way. You want to figure it out on your own, and you're too proud to humble yourself. And one of these days, friend, somebody God may create a storm enough in your life to where you'll be in distress and you'll cry out. And for some of you, it's time to stop running. Now, some of you may ask, how do I know if I'm running? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have six different statements, and you can listen to these, and perhaps you might want to do a little self-evaluation this morning. Number one, you're running from the Lord if it's convicting to be around fully committed Christians, and so you find yourself isolating. You don't want to be in a small group. You don't want to go to church every week because those people that out there, they seem to be committed, and that makes me uncomfortable because I'm not right now, and I would rather not hang out with them because it kind of convicts me. It kind of gives me a, a little heebie-jeebies. makes me nervous. Secondly, you make excuses by comparing yourself to others instead of Christ. How many people do you know are running from God that call all the church people a bunch of hypocrites, Right? They look at their lives and they look at other people and say, oh, yeah, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. So I'll keep running. I got a reason to run because I don't see any consistency. You know, well, you're running. Number three, you become defensive when you're asked about your spiritual condition. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, are you walking with the Lord? Well, yeah, 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 I, th I think so, uh, you know, well, so what are, what are you asking me for? Why, why? I mean, so we get defensive when people start talking about your life and your spiritual life and where you're at. And when you hear that kind of stuff and you start becoming a little defensive inside, maybe you're running. Number four, you would rather hang out with people who have compromised as much as you. You feel a whole lot more comfortable with people who are messed up and compromised rather than people who are trying to be committed and walk with the Lord in a consistent way. And so you'd rather hang out with them because if I hang out with them, I don't have to feel as guilty. I don't have to feel the pressure of the Holy Spirit in my life. So if I can hang out with people that are compromised like me, I'm feeling good. I don't have to feel as much guilt. Number five, you're constantly justifying your actions even though you know they're wrong. You know there's some stuff going on in your life right now that you know without a doubt is wrong, but you continue to rationalize and justify it and make excuses for it. And God's saying, time out. It's time to stop running. It's time to stop making excuses. It's time to get before me and call out in the Lord in your distress and get it fixed. And number six, you are busy judging others to escape your own inconsistencies. It's so easy to look at other people 
and see their inconsistencies to get the eyes off of yourself and so you don't have to deal with some things and it's running from God. It's running from what God wants you to do. Now, I don't know if I've touched a chord this morning or what God is speaking to you, but I'm sensing that there are people in this room this morning who are running for God or I wouldn't be given this message to preach. And it's pretty quiet in here because I sense that probably some of you are really struggling with something this morning. This is a tough message. This is not an easy message. But here's, here's a, it's in scripture here of a man who was completely and clearly asked of God to do something on his behalf and he ran. And he's a prophet. So none of us are all that spiritual, if you will, to say that we haven't got some things we're maybe running from. And just like that dog, some days maybe God will call that dog off and he'll make a U-turn and leave you to yourself. Or maybe he'll let that dog attack and grab your arm and say, hey, it's time to get your life together. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I'm keeping it short this morning because I want you to feel like you can respond to the Lord. So would you pray with me for a minute? God, Jonah is a great illustration of how we act. Before we get too judgmental or too critical of the guy, God, I thank you for his model because he at least had enough sense in the middle of his distress to cry out to you. And Lord, I, I just sense that there are people sitting here this morning that you've been bugging for a long time. You're, you're, you're kind of like that dog coming at him and They've been running as fast as they can run. And this morning, perhaps, that hound of heaven is caught up. And so, Lord, I, I pray that that person would be bold enough and honest enough with themselves and with you to stop running. God, if it's been, they've been running from Christianity for so long and they failed to give their lives to you, and to ask forgiveness for their sins and to create that new life that you call being born again. God, if they, if they haven't done that this morning, what a great opportunity. But I sense that many people here know you and do love you, but there are some things going on in their life right now that they've been running. They've been rebelling, they've been resisting, they've been rationalizing, and God, you've been hounding them for quite a while. And, and this morning, you really want to see them stop running and run into your arms. And so, God, if, if, if somebody is feeling that this morning, I would invite them to come up front here and just kneel right here at this stage and to stop running. I pray that whatever that is, that they would be able to cry out to you just like Jonah in their distress and say, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm struggling with this. I need to let it go. I got to stop running. If there's any other folks that want to come forward, I pray that they would do that. Be able to kneel right here before you and say those things to you, Lord, because it's between them and you. So I encourage you to just get up out of your seat this morning and come forward and do that as we sing this song, running into your arms. And do business with God. Stop running. And run to Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.